0: Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story, and we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Finally, we have our scripture reading this morning coming from the book of Exodus, chapter four, verses one through five. Then Moses answered, but suppose they don't believe me or listen to me and instead say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. The word of the Lord for us, the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning. It is great seeing you folks here. At Orange, and all of you who are worshiping online, it's uh, uh, an honor to be part of this. My name is Rick Strunk, and I'm pleased to be participating in this worship today. I am grateful for the opportunity to uh, share this morning. Uh, I've always been impressed, since I've joined this church, at the tremendous quality of the laity that we have, Uh, active, involved, talented. I'm honored to represent you this morning. But you may be wondering. I've I've thought this before. When on on occasion I've filled in the pulpit, your reaction. Well, they've gone really deep into the bench today to bring this guy up to preach, and from your reaction, that must be what you're thinking. Uh, But I've been a member here for over 30 years, and I'm very proud to to represent you here today. Let's pause for prayer. Father God, we thank you for this sacred time and for your presence with us, and I pray that you will take my feeble efforts and and my words, and transform them into the Word of God that you would have us hear today that would penetrate our ears and our minds and our hearts, and would be what we need to hear both individually and collectively. We thank you for this church and your many blessings to us, and most especially for loving us enough to send your Son. And it's in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. So, why do we ask questions? Why would I open with a question about questions? Well, think about the different reasons that we may ask questions. You know, to get information, obviously, to get help when we need it. I can ask my Echo, Alexa, what's the weather going to be on Sunday morning? And it will give me some information. It might not be 100% accurate, but I'll know to wear a jacket or take an umbrella, perhaps, makes a difference. Now, you, you may not know that in a previous life, part of my job was to ask questions. I worked for about eight years uh, in radio and television, and I broadcast football and basketball, and I was the color analyst on our network. And with that, I had the on-field pre-game interviews, or on-court for basketball. And some coaches were glad to see you. others rolled their eyes. They didn't want to talk to anybody before the game. But there's an art to asking questions in that uh, in that situation. You have to know you've got limited time. You wanna ask a question that elicits some kind of response that'll be interesting and helpful to understand the game. And and there's an art to that. I had some really good mentors along those lines. Now, unfortunately, and this rankles me when I watch a game today, not everybody takes that seriously. For example, coach, talk about your offense. That's not a question. That's not, and that happens. Or the questioner spends a paragraph explaining something to show how much he or she knows about the sport before asking the question. That's not the way you go about it. But there are other ways, other uh, reasons that we ask questions too. To find out what the other person thinks about something, uh, their philosophy or their likes and dislikes. And their answer may give some insights into where they're coming from, what makes them tick. These can be the personal preference questions, you know, like, do you prefer fiction or nonfiction? Who are your favorite authors? Where is your favorite place to eat? What kind of movies do you like? That that kind of thing. And they may not agree with what you would say, but you get some insight, some idea into where they're coming from. Sometimes the question is to help you understand something, like those of you that are teachers. You explain a concept, and then you ask a specific question to see if your students grasp the concept and can apply it, to see the kind of understanding that you have. And you may ask a question that you know the answer to, but you just want to see what the response is. I used to do this all the time with my children. So, what's that project you have, and and when is it due? And Nancy, the teacher in our family, would say, we've already told you that. Well, I know that. I want to hear the kids say, oh, it's due Friday. I haven't started on it, or something like that, to get an idea, a sense of where they were coming from. All sorts of questions and different reasons behind them. Now, what about questions in Scripture? There are lots of questions found in the Bible. I don't mean just those imponderable ones that we uh, wrestle with, but questions that are quoted in the text. For instance, we see in the New Testament how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked very pointed questions of Jesus on very sticky religious situations and applications. And often the writers of the Gospels will tell us they did this in an effort to trap Jesus. And by the way, those efforts never never really seemed to work, did they? Uh, Then there are specific questions that God poses, either himself or through his prophets, speaking for him. In terms of questions that God asks in Scripture, the first one's recorded in Genesis. Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit of the tree, and God asks them, where are you? Where are you? Don't you think he knew? Think about why he would ask a question like that in the the first place. And so then, this morning, we have this question from God to Moses. Uh, This is part of the burning bush encounter. So think about the context from what Lynn read for this scripture. God has summoned Moses in Exodus 3, almost a chapter earlier, and he sees the burning bush, and then in the time between that and where we are in our, in, uh, our scripture, Moses has raised several objections to his being chosen, which the Lord answers to some degree in our verses today. So God told him to use what he had in his hand, an ordinary shepherd's staff. And that staff went on to play a significant role in the Exodus and the Israelites leaving Egypt. Now, this whole dialogue has been going on, as I said, for a chapter. Moses sees the burning bush, a sign from God, and goes over to investigate, God calls to him. Moses says, here I am, and God tells him to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And then the Lord tells him that he's heard the cry of the Israelites, and he's to go to the Pharaoh to bring them out of Egypt. Well, Moses responds with some questions of his own to God, a series of objections that he probably isn't the right guy. In verse 11 of chapter 3, Moses asks, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. God answers that say, saying, I will be with you. And then you recall Moses isn't satisfied with that and asks, what will he tell if he tells the Israelites, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me your name? What shall I tell them? What your name? And God answers that. I am who I am. And then God explains at least a little more detail about what is going to ensue, what, what will go down He'll strike the Egyptians with wonders, he'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed to the Israelites so they won't leave empty-handed, and so on, which brings us to the beginning of this particular text. Moses continues to question God and raises another objection. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? And they say, the Lord did not appear to you. And then the Lord unexpectedly changes the focus of Moses' attention in verse 2 that we read. God doesn't really answer the question. In fact, there seems to be no apparent connection between the objection by Moses and God's question. Moses must have been confused or mystified or puzzled by what the Lord did, calling attention to the staff in his hand. What does it have to do with what I ask you, Moses might have been thinking? Sure, I've got a staff, but most everybody around here has, has a staff. That has no bearing on anything. So to Moses at that, uh, at that moment... The significance of his staff was not apparent or even relevant, he thought, to the discussion. It was just what he had handy. Like a lot of people of his time and in that part of the world, they had a staff. And then God ordered Moses to do a simple display, a simple act of of obedience. Throw it on the ground. Throw it on the ground, he says in verse 3. Now, how was the result different from anything Moses might have expected to happen? Now, a couple things for for context I think help. The fact that Moses' staff is called the staff of God later on in Exodus indicates it was not to be thought of magically as some sort of trick, but as an instrument of God's will. The fact that God's will was being executed through the staff means that this act and then A few chapters later, the turning of Aaron's staff into a snake, they were of a fundamentally different nature than what the Egyptian magicians had been able to display. And that fact was demonstrated when Aaron's snake swallowed up those uh, of the Egyptians. And could a stick actually really become a serpent or a hand suddenly become leprous and then turn instantly healthy again, which happens later in this chapter? Yes, if God transforms them, but according to verses 5 and 8 in this chapter, God made these things happen to convince doubters they really really appeared to Moses. An impossible act, at least one occurring outside the natural order, would be more convincing than just some ordinary action. As creator of the universe, God is not limited to actions in accordance to natural law because I mean he designed those laws. So the occurrence of these miracles are designed to convince all but the most determined doubters God has indeed been speaking to his prophet. Now, I like the part when God asked Moses to pick up the snake by the tail. What do you think went through Moses' mind? I'm not going to pick up that snake. You really don't pick up a snake by the tail, because what will the snake do? Wheel around and bite you. That's right. Moses demonstrated his logic by running away from the snake, which I totally applaud. His staff was now alive, but Moses was still obedient. When commanded, this is an important part of the story, he picked it up. The whole thing about the snake has some significance, too, when it comes to Egypt. First of all, keep in mind that the symbol of authority in Egypt was the rod, or like a staff. And this, in fact, shows that the sovereign God is really in control more than the Egyptians. And in Egypt, Pharaoh was represented by what? the serpent figure, the cobra on on the crown, featured prominently. But it's not the serpent who rules or has ultimate power in this case either. So these signs are all indications that the sovereign power of God is at work, and they begin a pattern in Exodus of actions intended to prompt faith and obedience. It's not the only place in the Bible, too, that normal, regular stuff is used in some miraculous way. Kind of an obscure story in 2 Kings 2, Salt in a new jar. This is what the verse says. The people of the city said to Elisha the prophet, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, says Elisha, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. He went out to the spring, threw the salt into the spring, saying, This is what the Lord says. I've healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day. Not the logical way to, to clean the water, is it? Throw salt in it, and it's going to be good. But God was able to use that. You remember the first uh, miracle by Jesus at the wedding in Cana of Galilee? If you've ever watched The Chosen, and I highly recommend it, The Chosen series, the crowdfunded thing you can watch online about the life of Jesus, they use a great line in this. Okay, They've run out of wine, and so Jesus. Mary tells Jesus, and Jesus says, Fill these jars with water. And in the, in the show... The wine masters say, what kind of a solution is that, to put water in these jars? And yet we know what happened, that uh, Christ was able to turn those into the best wine that they had. So, you may be thinking, exactly what does this have to do with us? Moses had a staff, he's obedient, he throws it down, and God uses it. Well, this is the application part of our program. Uh, It gets more personal. We know that God asked Moses this specific question, what is that in your hand? And you see what happens right after that. And of course, the biblical narrative about Moses and his relationship with God goes on a long way after this to show with God's help and guidance what Moses did. But for us, for you, how do you answer the question, what's that in your hand? Can you identify some ordinary, everyday staffs you have in your hand? Think about just some of the possibilities. These are just just a few. Material possessions. You may have extra possessions or, or some possessions that would really help others, and you might not even miss them. And you've got Durham Rescue Mission, Salvation Army, lots of churches that have clothes closets and different things like that where you can donate to help other people. It can be donations to things like Backpack Buddies. Sometimes, though, it might be something you haven't really thought about. Years ago, we bought a used Ford Taurus, so I'd have something to drive to work. And then we had children. It was our second car. I drove it. We got another car, and our oldest, daughter Allison, got it, and then Lindsay got it. We had a gap between kids, so it wasn't going to last that long. It had been around a while. So we had this old Ford Taurus, and I checked the Kelley Blue Book value, and it wasn't very much, a couple hundred dollars. So I knew it wouldn't be much for a trade-in. And then, right here on our campus, in our Sunday school class uh, that I teach, a fellow mentioned that they had a daughter going to college, their first going off to school, and he wondered if anybody knew of, of somebody who had a car that they were willing to sell. And I had this Holy Spirit prompting that said, well, maybe that's where your four Taurus ought to wind up. I talked to him after class and said, I, I know a guy, us. Why don't you look at the car, check it out and see if it's even worth uh, worth pursuing. Do you know what this guy's job was? He was an auto mechanic. So he knew something about cars. He looked at it and said, oh, it's in great shape. I can fix the few things that it needs. And so he asked what we wanted for it, and we just told him, we want to go to somebody who can use it. It's clear you can use it. And so we gave it to him. Now that was a theme that was in, in my hand, so to speak. I had to let it go so it could benefit somebody, but I really wasn't going to need it, and it serves somebody else fairly well. Material possessions. How about financial resources? It might be money that helps great causes. We do that here in lots of different ways. And sometimes an encounter with Jesus can change how we look at that. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, and after his encounter with Jesus, he decides to give away a lot of his perhaps ill-gotten gains that he's had. changes how he looks at his, material, uh, his financial resources. These can be for a specific cause at our church. It can be for a parachurch ministry you support, like Young Life or FCA. It could even be somebody that's down on their luck and just needs a little bit of help. In our Bible study one time, we had a guy who could not pay for his insurance. And so the band of brothers got together, got some money. We couldn't have him drive without insurance, right, to come to Bible study, and gave him money to help in that specific uh, situation. What's that in your hand? It could be schedule flexibility and, and... Talents and skills. You may have a different kind of schedule, as I do, uh, after you retired, which means you're available to do some things that, that you hadn't been able to do otherwise. Uh, Mike Bonner, for example, in our church, he uh, tutors people in, in calculus. He's got superb math and engineering skills. That would not be my gift. I wouldn't do that. Well, what about the group here at Orange that prays for us regularly? And then you get a card in the mail that says, you've been prayed for, your family's been prayed for this week. That's so encouraging. Or maybe the Stephen Ministry, a wonderful caregiving group with special training, led by Jenny Kendall and others, that can can help. That's another possibility. It could be something as simple as space at your house or in your yard. After our kids were married and moved away, we had extra room in our house, right? Now a guy that our son knew was attending Duke Divinity School in a special program. He was in residence for a week every semester and then did the rest remotely. Well, we didn't know him, never met him. Wes called him, we talked, and he called us, and he went up staying with us for the remainder of his Duke Divinity career. Now, Dr. Darrell Briscoe, who's a pastor in Durham, but we got to know him and his family well, we did some things together, and it was a special relationship we would have missed out on if we hadn't realized what we had in our hand and be willing to release it. Maybe it's your special interests, and we have a lot of interest represented here and, and the group watching online, helping to coach a sports team. I, I coached baseball when my son was little. He didn't like baseball that much, but it was great fun to be able to coach him. I've been so inspired and impressed by those involved, say, in, in prison ministry. I have a real heart for that. I have some friends who are so devoted, they go to the prison and teach Bible study in the prison, and one is actually mentoring an ex-offender who's living in a halfway house trying to help that person uh, transition, uh, integrate back into society. Now, keep in mind that the Lord may not use every ordinary thing in our lives, but it's good for us to consider the means that we have which the Lord might use in unexpected ways. And here's another personal thing for us to consider. Which one of your staffs, maybe one of these we mentioned in those categories, there are plenty of others, which one would be hardest for you to throw down and release control over. God commanded Moses to throw it down. He didn't know what was going to happen, but he was obedient and did the, just that. And we know now what a significant role that Moses' staff played throughout the Exodus and wilderness story. But at this point, the Lord did not reveal any of that to Moses. He was still very much in the dark about where all this was going. But Moses did throw down the staff. and he did what was commanded, and later he picked it up by the tail. So, which one of your staffs would you be willing to throw down and let God take control of? That's worth pondering. What's that in your hand? There are so many other examples of how what's in our hand, be it time or resources or talents, can be used to further the kingdom right here at Orange. And I will say that some of these following examples are illustrative, not exhaustive. There are many, many more that we could, we could highlight here. We've had sons and daughters of our church who have gone into full-time ministry in the pulpit and as missionaries. Our son Wes and his wife Callie are, are aspiring Christian musicians living in the Nashville area. Their band is called Nona, N-O-N-A-H, long story. But Wes says on the website for the band that we are a ministry disguised as a band, And then I read the impact that some of their songs have had on people all all over the world, using their gifts and graces, what they had in their hand. I see C.N. and Bob Satterback here. Uh, They moved here from Texas at a difficult time to get involved in church, right, in COVID stuff. And I remember the first time I met them was out in the parking lot in a socially distanced uh, masked gathering. But it's an honor to have them in my Sunday school class. And I've got written in my notes, shameless plug time. We have room for you in Sunday school that meets right after Pathways during the discipleship hour, and we'd love to have you join us as we, as we study Scripture together. It's, it's great fun. It's an honor to have them. But they had an idea. They'd seen this work at other churches, the share the love bags. And so they used what was in their hand and their experience. They inspired other people, and that's become a very active and, and vibrant ministry, those bags to hand out to the homeless. And the other, this past week, I gave my bag out at New Hope Commons And the guy stopped what he was doing, opened it, and ate the of sausages right there. It's a a wonderful ministry. Some of you know Helen Clark in our church, a great cook. She's active in our outreach team. She's had a number of health issues, but she knows the power of a home-cooked meal. And she would cook a meal for the women's shelter down the road and then visit with them afterwards. Now, I've seen her sit in a wheelchair in here, helping to prepare meals for others and guiding those who are assisting as she, as she leads them. Helen knows what's in her hand. Uh, I wish many of you had had a chance to know Ellen Kepley. Some of you long-time orange people may have. Uh, her lifelong devotion to this church, she even worked in the office as a volunteer. She used her gift of hospitality, speaking to people who were visiting our church and had this remarkable recall of names and faces. She'd stand behind, beside the pastor sometimes at the door and say, okay, this is so-and-so, and, t- and tell them who, who they were. Uh, many of us of a certain age uh, were influenced and encouraged by Ellen to join. She even invited me to join the choir over 30 years ago. She said, I heard you sing in the congregation. You ought to come to choir practice sometime. And my dad had been a a director of music at a church, so I couldn't say no to Ellen. And you know what she did about two years later? She up and quit the choir. She retired. I told her, well, since you quit, maybe I ought to to quit too. She looked me dead in the eye and pointed her finger. She said, I'm retiring. It's not time for you to retire. And so I said, yes, ma'am, as I often said to Miss Ellen, and I'm still in the choir. It could be something that you have some expertise to share, like Dr. Grant Wacker has done here at Orange. You you may know him. He's a world-class theologian and expert on American Christianity who taught at Duke Divinity School for many years, and he's taught some amazing courses right here at our church. What a great opportunity for those of us who have benefited from his teaching to have him willing to use what's in his hand and and head, too, I guess, in that case. And some of you may remember our late brother T. Ray Smith. Now, he developed an amazing ministry from scratch. I've never heard it anywhere else, and I watched a bunch of little boys develop a real interest in the Bible. He would go to flea markets and buy baseball cards, and he always carried them in his coat pocket to church word got around, he'd give out baseball cards to anybody who would memorize a Bible verse and recite it to him. It was amazing to me, right here, to see a line of children following the Pied Piper around to tell a Bible verse so they could win some baseball cards. Now, our son, Wes, was pretty cagey at an early age. He was one caught up in the excitement, and what a thrill it was, how awesome to see Wes, as a little boy, reading the Bible, exploring to find verses that he could memorize and say to T-Ray. One Sunday, he went up and said, John 11:36, 36, Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. T. Ray told him, okay, that's good for one card, but next time come back with a longer verse that you've learned, and, and he did. But a whole group of kids here participated in this. They got excited about Scripture by an unusual means because T. Ray realized what was in his hand, some baseball cards from the flea market coupled with his love for kids and his love for Jesus. God can use whatever it is we have in our hands, then we have to be willing to use it, to release it. So on the one hand, maybe the story of the burning bush and the encounter between Moses and God is one that we can sign to a very rare revelation of God to man. And that would be true. I mean, who sees a burning bush that isn't consumed? and has a conversation with the Almighty, and then even challenges him on his choice of who's supposed to be the leader. But I think there's a much, much more personal aspect to this story. First of all, perhaps it will get our attention when God asks us a question. How do we react to those personal encounters? Why did he ask me that in the first place? And then the staff that Moses had in his hand was ordinary, commonplace, not unusual at all. It was his staff, it was personal, but not remarkable. But when he was willing to release it, when he was willing to release it, to be obedient to God, to do what God was asking and throw it down, well then, miraculous and remarkable things happened. You've probably heard that old saying before, God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. So perhaps the question for us this morning, on Laity Sunday, happens to be, how is God equipping you. What is that in your hand? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time together and for your willingness to speak into our hearts. And let us contemplate the actual question that you asked to Moses. What is that in your hand? And help us be willing to use that and to throw it down and release it and then to see remarkable amazing things happen. I thank you for this church and the gifts and graces represented here. Let us consider what's that in our hand and then be obedient to you. Father, we give you all the praise and glory in the name of your son Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.